joy in every part of Matthew chapter 12. Powerful verses this morning we're going to cover starting in verse 31 through 37. If you have your Bibles today, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 12. Some powerful topics that we're going to cover today, important. Give us solid theology, give us peace of mind. Uh, We're going to thank God for Matthew chapter 12. Then I'm going to read verses 31 through 37. Lord, we thank you this morning for the word. We thank you for this time of worship that we were able to have. Pray that our hearts are prepared to receive from you, Holy Spirit, that you would give us truth this morning, that you'd encourage us. And uh, as the word goes forth, let it go forth rightly divided, Lord, so that it would accomplish something eternal in your people this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 31. Therefore, I say to you, Jesus speaking, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. An evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, or by your words you will be condemned. Matthew 12, this passage, this part of the text is, as all of it is, powerful, and uh, it's very sobering this morning. What we're going to see here is a sober warning to consider the things that we say. How many have issues with their mouths? Amen. We all do, so the other people who didn't raise their hand have mouth issues and lying issues. Right? <laughs> but we all have issues with our mouth. If you put a tape recorder on us that taped us for a week, and then you just had somebody go through it and highlight the good stuff, and by good stuff I mean the stuff we shouldn't have said. Oh, it's quiet already. Don't wilt on me now. We're going to learn some things about our mouths today, man. We're going to be reminded about our words. Our words reveal three things according to Matthew 12. They reveal what's in us. What comes out of our mouth is not revealing just a thought that passed through our head, but it's really revealing what's in us, in our souls. Our words reveal uh, what's in us, and they also shape our reality. You know, what we say and, and how we approach situations change the, the, the mood and the trajectory of our lives. When I was a young man, I worked with a, an older man framing uh, factory windows and working inside. And we're, we're working with all crooked buildings and stuff. And this guy used to every day, uh, in very colorful ways, would say, nothing ever goes my way. I'll never forget him because every time he said that, nothing went his way. And I had to work with him. So nothing went. I mean, and by the end of the summer, I had, you know, got him reading his Bible a little bit. He started to change the words of his mouth, and we were having better days. But our words, they they reveal what's in us. They shape our reality, negativity, you know, and just a bad attitude and and, and pouring out complaining. They they change the atmosphere of our lives. And our words also have an impact on our souls. 
Our words are important. Verse 31 plunges right into the unnerving subject of what theologians and Bible teachers call the unpardonable sin. Listen to verse 31 again. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. Now, if the verse stopped there, that would be awesome. But it says, but, and here's the but, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. So the, the topic here in this verse out of Jesus' lips is what theologians call the unpardonable sin, a sin you can commit that cannot be forgiven. Now, this topic creates a lot of anxiety and confusion in people's hearts because the obvious point of verse 31 here does create some insecurity in us that there's something we can do that's linked to our speech that we could say that is unforgivable. If you think about that, that's a little unnerving, isn't it? Anyone ever say something they didn't mean? Anyone in the heat of the moment say something they wish they never said? Anybody married? All the husbands look terrified. Why? Because your wife never forgets anything you ever said. And if you think she does, ask her, she'll remind you. But the words of our mouth, and here's, a, here's a, a sin that's linked to the words of our mouth is something we can say. Anyone who speaks against, that's with the mouth, speaks against the Holy Spirit. Now, if we just look at this one-dimensionally here, this would create some anxiety in us, and I'll tell you why. Because if the verse stopped where it said, every sin and blasphemy would be forgiven, that would be wonderful. But it doesn't stop there. And if we're being honest with ourselves, we, we really need it to stop there because why? We're guilty of breaking all the commandments. And if you think you have it, well, I've never done that. Well, you know, we don't have to literally do it. We could just do it in our hearts. Well, I've never committed adultery, but did you lust after someone in your heart? Jesus said, you're guilty of adultery. Well, I never murdered anybody, but did you murder them with your tongue, with your judgment, with your words? Jesus says we're guilty of murder. So the truth is, all of us, even the best of us, if there are any, uh, we've broken all the commandments, and so we need to be pardoned of every sin. So the fact that there is one sin that's unforgivable would create some anxiety in us. You say, why is that? Because historically, when there's only been one way for us to get ourselves in trouble, we've availed ourselves of the one way and gotten in trouble. Oh, not me. Oh, yeah, you. Anybody remember the little place called the Garden of Eden? Hello, second service, wake up. There was one tree they couldn't eat from. Come on, are you getting this? There was one way to get in trouble. You had all these trees. You could eat from any single one of them. God said, don't touch this tree. What tree did they touch? The one tree. That's our human nature. If there's one way to mess things up, we do it. And now here, you got, Pastor, you got to read this to us. We were happy before we knew this. You know, there's one way, there's one sin that, that, you know, if we do it and we cross that line, now we're going to unpack this and understand it and hopefully remove that anxiety. But, you know, you could see why looking at something like this, if there's one way to get in trouble, I'll find it. You know, all the unperfect people know what I'm talking about. To really understand, you know, 
what's going on here is that we have to look into this idea of universal forgiveness. That's a wonderful concept. We can be forgiven of all these things. The unsettling caveat is there's one sin that we won't be forgiven of, and we need to understand it, uh, not just to avoid it, but so that we don't uh, tremble and have anxiety over the fact that, you know, we're going to get it. I want you to say something. I want you to see something. Understand what Jesus is really saying here. We have to understand the context he's saying it in context is important you can pull things out of scripture out of context and make them say almost anything you want you can flip through the bible you know uh you can flip through the bible and just stick your finger in oh it says judas hung himself then you turn to another scripture oh you should do the same you know you you (laughs) don't do that you need context So what's the context in which Jesus Jesus is launching into this whole, you know, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit thing? The context is this. The the religious crowd just accused him of working with the devil. They just called the Lord of glory Beelzebub. And Beelzebub, we learned, was the prince of devils. He's, you know, come through paganism and idol worship, but he worked his way. uh, The fact that he is, you know, this deceiving spirit, this ruler of demons, and that's what they say. Oh, Jesus only heals people because he works with the devil. Now think about the context here that they've opened up this can of worms. Here they accuse him of of working by the power of Beelzebub, that all the healing he's doing, all all the people's lives he's touching, the power of God moving through him, well, that's the devil. They attributed the genuine work of the Holy Spirit to the devil. That's blasphemy any way you slice it. But that's not what makes it unforgivable. That's not what makes it unpardonable. I just kind of put those two words together there. Somebody write that down. We're going to use that. You know, what makes this an unpardonable thing is not that they just, you know, they accuse Jesus of doing X, Y, and Z. Because he said, if you sin against the Son of Man, if you say things against me, it'll be forgiven. What makes this unpardonable is that they knew the accusation was false. Get this. They knew that Jesus was doing these things by the power of God, but they make an accusation against him. Why? Because they're so jealous of him, they're so threatened by him, and they're so hateful that he's proving that they're spiritually impotent, that they are willing to blaspheme the Holy Spirit just to discredit him. They knowingly spoke against the Holy Spirit just to discredit Jesus, and they knew what they said wasn't true unpardonable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The context here, Jesus, you do these works by the devil. That's the only explanation. They knew it wasn't true, but yet they peddled and floated that idea just to discredit Jesus. Now, I want to say something about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not just a careless slip of the tongue. If we could say a word or a phrase and just say it once and then God was like, boom, you shouldn't have said that, you're disqualified now. The enemy would get us all to say it. Because there's times in all of our lives at low moments, at low points that, you know, we're capable of saying some pretty crazy stuff. And if all we had to do is say the magic phrase and we were disqualified, listen, he'd get all of us to say it. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not a careless slip of the tongue. It's this. It's a progressive, stubborn rejecting of the will of God in an individual's heart until that heart becomes so hard it's incapable of repentance. 
See, it's not a one-time thing. It's not a slip of the tongue. It's not a magic phrase. It's not the wrong thing to say. It's a, it's a process. It's a pattern over time of resisting and rejecting the, the will of God to the point where that our hearts become so hard, we have no room for repentance. You say, well, how do you, how do you get that? Well, if you look in Scripture, God gives us a perfect example of how blasphemy of the Holy Spirit works and how the process works. In, the Egypt, in Egypt, when Pharaoh was contending with the children of God, the Pharaoh had 10 plagues to deal with. God gave him 10 chances to repent and let the people go, and every time he refused the will of God. And the Scripture says that every time Pharaoh... You know, Moses came, remember, Charlton Heston showed up, and he had his stick, and, you know, and then he said, you know, let my people go, and who is this God that I should, who is that guy with the, you, Branner, you, Branner, big, bald-headed Pharaoh, who is this God of the Hebrews that I should obey, Lord? You know, and, and you're watching this, and what's going on there? He's saying, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to listen to your God, Moses, and what, what happens over the 10 plagues, it either says Pharaoh hardened his heart, or God hardened his heart at certain places, at certain times. But what happened? Every time he stubbornly resisted the will of God, his heart got harder and harder until it was so hard he had passed the point of no return and he had shattered God's grace. And then even as he stood and held his firstborn son dead in his arms, he couldn't resist the temptation to pursue the Israelites to his own destruction where the his whole army and he himself were destroyed. Do you see this? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time slip of the tongue. It's a pattern of rejecting God, of refusing God, of refusing the opportunities he gives us for repentance. And every time we do that, it hardens our heart. So theologians have consistently said something throughout uh, the years, and they've said this, if you're worried you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, then you haven't. How many people have heard that? If you're worried that you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, then you haven't. And the truth is, that's absolutely true. And I'm going to show you why it's true. Because when you get to the place where you have consistently rejected God, where you've refused to repent, where you've hardened your heart against the truth, that by the time you wear out God's grace, Lou, you have no desire to repent at all. The person who has blasphemed the Holy Spirit doesn't care about repentance, doesn't want to be forgiven, is angry at God, their heart is hard, and they have settled their eternal destiny. So if you're worried that you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, the truth is you haven't. And I want you to understand uh, a little better by listening to Matthew Henry and his commentary and what he says about this subject. He says very well in a way we can understand. He says, here is a gracious assurance of the pardon of all sin upon gospel terms. Christ herein has set an example to the sons of men to be ready to forgive words spoken against them. But humble and conscientious believers at times are tempted to think they've committed the unpardonable sin, while those who have come nearest to it seldom fear such things. We may be sure that those who indeed repent and believe the gospel have not committed this sin or any other like it, for repentance and faith are special gifts of God, which he would not bestow upon any man if he were not determined to pardon him. 
So those who fear they've committed this sin prove that they have not. They're trembling and their contrite hearts witness to themselves that this is not the case. Are you getting this? If God saved you, if God filled you with the Holy Spirit, if God wrote your name down in the Lamb's book of life, he wasn't, you know, waiting for you to make a stake so you could take that all away and blot you out and now you're done, that you said the wrong thing and God said, no, if he's given you the gift of salvation, amen, he, he plans to pardon you, to forgive you, amen? Some Christians walk around scared, scared, I'm gonna lose it, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna make it. Anyone ever feel like that? You wake up, I'm not going to make it. It's for everybody else and not for me. I, I've, I've crossed the line. No, listen, the enemy loves to make us feel like that. But, but God wants to give us an assurance of salvation, that he's able to keep us by his keeping power, amen, that we don't have to be in fear, that we don't have to be anxious, that we don't have to think, I'm going to slip up and say the wrong thing, and God's going to go, up. Oh, you're out. That's not God. That's not the way this works. So if you're worried you've done it, you haven't done it. Why? Because it proves that your heart is still so tender that you seek a place of repentance. God didn't save you just to lose you. Jesus said, I kept everyone that the Father gave to me. Amen. Let's continue. So now you understand some things about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. These guys were doing something that they knew was wrong. Their hearts were being hardened just like Pharaoh. Jesus is warning them, guys, you're, you're going to cross the line and you better be careful. Verse 32 makes it clear that a verbal pattern of rejecting, resisting, and refusing the Holy Spirit can bring eternal consequences. We need to be very careful. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven. Amen. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. We have to be very careful that we don't develop a pattern of resisting God. When the Holy Spirit tugs on an area of our life and he says you, you need to repent or you need to let go of this or you need to stop doing that, we need to be very careful that we don't harden our hearts. And some people say, well, not now or maybe later or I'm not ready for that. Well, you know what? Every time we do that, we harden our hearts. Um, Offering after offering, time after time, uh, he extends to us opportunities to repent. We have to be very careful not to harden our hearts because there can be eternal consequences to these things. Verse 33 shows that the remedy for uh, resisting the things of God is to be willing to deal with the root issues of our lives. Anybody got issues? Some of you are not raising your hand. You got the biggest issues. Amen, I should have raised both of my hands. We've all got issues, amen? But you know what? When we deal with our issues, we've got to deal with the root of our issues. And, and we don't like to do that. We would, rather, we would rather pull the leaves off the tree and make the tree look a little better. Let's prune it. Let's clip it up. Let's take the dead branches out. Let's, put, you know, let's, you know, let's make it look good. But listen, if you don't take care of the root, it's just going to grow back. How many of us have said, I'm going to get free of this, I'm going to stop doing that, I'm going to let this go, I'm not hanging out with these people anymore, only to go right back to it? Why? Because we've got to change the root issue that drags us back to these people and to these situations and these habits. The root issues, you know, we root up the bad things in our life, the ungodly things, we drive them out and we let the good things flourish in our lives. You know, the, the text is really clear. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit, amen? 
change the root system, change the fruit production, amen? It, it, we're going to produce what we're going to produce, and it's according to what's in our hearts. We're going to look at this as we get a little deeper here. But basically, we've got to drive those bad things out of our lives. The Pharisees knew what they were saying was wrong. But what were the bad things in their lives that made them say it? They were drunken with power. They loved their positions. They loved the attention of people. They would rather lose their souls than lose their title. Wow. What a scary place to be in. God help us because religion can bring people to that place to where they know they're wrong, but they refuse to repent. And these guys were in that spot. And Jesus is showing them, you got to deal with the root issues of your life, guys. you got to deal with it because the fruit production here is a sign that you're in spiritual trouble. Verse 34 and 35, if you're following along with me, I encourage you to. Jesus gets really hardcore with these guys, and he highlights the connection between our hearts and our mouths. Did you know your heart and your mouth were connected? You're not going to learn that in biology class. In fact, if you put that on your test, you're going to get marked wrong. The heart bone connects to the mouth bone. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but spiritually, our hearts and our mouths are connected. And this text here shows us that. Jesus starts off by going after these guys, and he berates them. Listen to what Jesus says. I don't encourage you to try this with people, but he says, brood of vipers. How can you be <laughs> being evil? Don't try that with your mother-in-law. Brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Told you, the heart and the mouth are connected. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. See, there it is. It's an obvious pattern. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. So here's the connection between our hearts and our mouths. And what he's trying to say, you know, he, he gets these guys' attention. He calls them a brood of vipers. And in case you're wondering, that's not a compliment. It's, it's something that, you know, would have really offended them. And to be fair, you know what, I got to say, they started it. They said he was Beelzebub. Hello? When you call Jesus the devil, uh, you know, brace yourself. <laughs> because he's about to set these guys straight. Now, what I want you to see here before we move on is this. They accused Jesus of being what they actually were. They were demonic. You say, oh, come on, pastor. That, that's a little hardcore. I'm going to prove it to you. Jesus actually accuses them of that and says that's what they are in John 8, 44. Listen to what Jesus says to the same religious crowd. You are of your father, the devil. Oh, you got to love weak, little, white bread, skinny Jesus hanging on the cross. Yeah, I know he's the lamb, but he sounds a lot like the lion here. And he says, you are of your father, the devil. He's saying, you guys are demonic. You want to do the desires of your father. He calls them out for having murder. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning. Why is he calling them out? Because these guys want to kill him, and he knows it. 
and he's reading their mail. You're of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Wow, what an indictment. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Look what he says to the religious crowd. You're liars, you're murderers, you're a brood of vipers. You know, uh, you're like your father, the devil. And what do they do just a little while later? They accuse him of being what he actually is. And I want you to see the depravity of human nature here. Wicked people will always accuse others of being wicked. To a liar, everybody lies. To an adulterer, everybody cheats. To a thief, everybody steals. Many times, people with bad character will accuse you of being what they actually are. And when they do, take it with a grain of salt because they're acting like their father, the devil. They're accusing you of what they are, and you're not that. You're a child of God. Amen? <laughs> evil people project their evil on others, and that's exactly what we see here as Jesus tangles with these religious vipers. He's saying, you guys are a bunch of cold-hearted snakes. <laughs> How to win friends and influence people by Jesus. <laughs> the gold and silver and precious stones of verse 34 is this timeless principle. Verse 34 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We can take this principle to the bank, and if we allow it to you know, get in our hearts, it's going to do some things in us. I want to say this. The judgment and the cursing and the anger and the hatred that comes out of people's mouths is not a slip. Do you ever have people just, you know, curse a blue streak and say, oh, I'm sorry, I slipped. It's not a slip. It's not French. I was just speaking. No, that's not French. It's not a slip. It's not French. And it's not a joke. How many times have you had people just insult you in a mean way that you knew they meant and then they say, oh, I'm just joking. They're not joking. Well, I thought they might not be joking. Yeah, they're serious, but they didn't have the courage to be serious, so they said it in a passive-aggressive way, and, they, and then they, they said it, and it was in their hearts, and it came out of their mouths, but they said, I'm just kidding. It's a joke. Come on, get this. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When judgment comes out of our mouth, when hatred comes out of our mouth, when lies come out of our mouth. That means, you know, there's an issue that we have and, you know, we have to deal with it. Now you say, well, when somebody says, I slipped, no, we didn't slip. We just forgot to hide what was in there. You know, kids say whatever's on their mind. But, you know, as we get older, we get good at hiding the things we know we shouldn't say out loud in public. Now it's really quiet. No one will be here next week, just me. Look, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. Some of you are just smiling at me like, please move on. But, I mean, I, I feel this too. I struggle with this too. I'm going to share some things about myself. You say, I can't wait. Well, hang in there. But our mouths get us in trouble and we say these things. And a good man, it says, a good man brings the good treasure out of the good things in his heart. An evil man, the evil treasure. So it's from the source here. It's not a slip. It's not a joke. It's what's in there. Verse 35 illustrates the point so clearly that not even the Pharisees could argue with it. Either there's good in you or there's evil, and what's ever in there is going to come out. That's why it's so futile to say things like, I I'm going to clean up my act. I'm going to straighten out my mouth. How many of you have said things like that? I'm never going to say that word again. 
Come on, let's be honest in God's house on Sunday morning. How long did that last? To the first merge on the highway. That's all. That's all it lasted. I'm never going to say that again. Do you know why it's foolish to say, I'm going to clean up my mouth. You know why it's foolish to say that? Because it's not our mouths that need to be cleaned up. It's our hearts. Amen? Our hearts need to be cleaned up. And, and, and you know, we're never going to get a change. The, the heart and the mouth are connected. Now, uh, because it's not our mouths and it is our hearts, we have to allow God to deal with our hearts. Now, the fact that King David understood this principle is evidenced in the contrite expression of repentance recorded in Psalm 51. He'd fallen with Bathsheba. His sin had been exposed. Uriah had been killed. Just the worst of sin, adultery and murder. And David's here coming before God. And this is what he says before the Lord in Psalm 51, 9 through 11. He says, Hide your face from my sins and wipe out all my guilty deeds. He's asking for God's forgiveness. Now listen to verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, God, and renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David understood this principle. He didn't say, God, you know, change my actions, change my behavior, change my thoughts, change the way I, you know, I think. No, he said, Lord, created me a clean heart. He knew it was his heart that was messed up that allowed him to do these things before God. And, and, and look what he says. He doesn't say, God, clean up my old rotten heart. He doesn't say, God, you know, you know brush off and dust off my, my heart and make it a little better. No, he says, created me a new heart. See what he's asking for? He's not asking. Many times when we, we sinned, we were like, God, just dust me off and patch me up and throw me back out there. No, we need, we need a change, amen. We need a root change. We need a heart change. We need to be sanctified, amen. God is not trying to make a better version of Rick and just, you know, patch him up and polish him up so he can... No, he's trying to conform me to the image of Jesus Christ, his son. That's what he's trying to do in you, to sanctify us, to not, to not make a, a, a better version of a sinner, but to make a saint, Amen. So David got it here, created me a clean heart, do a, do a work inside me, change me from the inside out. I love David's heart here, even though he's involved in the worst of sin, and it's really despicable what David did. He says to, to God, take not your, don't, don't cast me away from your presence, what? And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Do you see the things that David valued he valued the presence of God. He valued the Holy Spirit in his life, amen? David never once said, don't take the kingdom from me, don't take the title from me, don't take the riches from me, don't take the esteem of the people from me. Come on. He said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. We've got to value the Holy Spirit in our lives. Oh, God, just get me out of this. Don't embarrass me. Don't let everybody know. Pride. I sin, I mess up, I don't want anybody to know, I hide it, yet I don't allow God to change my heart, and I'm setting myself up for the kill, I'm going to do the same thing again. Unless we allow God to change our hearts and change our behavior, what's in us is going to come out. So, verse 36 and 37, bring it in for a landing here, we're just going to, we're going to cover this today. Uh, and, and these two verses, the last part of our text here today, are, are really startling in a lot of ways. Look what this says. 
as if, you know, all of what we covered wasn't enough, it concludes like this, but I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they shall give an account of it in the day of judgment. Anybody have a big mouth? Some people have been talking since they were born. Now we can see some of you were talking in the womb. And you haven't stopped. And we talk, we say these things. And look what it says. Every idle word men speak, will be, they'll give an account for in the day of judgment. Look at 37. For with your words you'll be justified, and with your words you will be condemned. Verse 36 will absolutely put the fear of God into anyone with a conscience. Why? Because if we have a big mouth, a loud mouth, a foul mouth, or a sharp tongue, we are in trouble when it comes to the words that we say. And the text is saying we're given given account for them. Think about that. How long is judgment day going to be? That's a million years. We only got the first three people on the line here. All the words we say, all the things we just blurt out in our homes, in private, in traffic, in the store, in front of the TV. Hello. This scripture is enough to rattle uh, any of us that we would have to give an account for every word we've spoken. This scripture makes me want to crazy glue my lips shut and then duct tape my mouth in case the glue fails. When I read stuff like this, I'm like, I don't even want to talk because you're better off. we got to give an account for the things we say. Now, I know the Lord is gracious, and this, a lot of this is under the blood, but think about it. Our words are powerful, and the, some of the things we say, you know, we're going to have to give an account for them. Uh, you know, we have to stand before God and, and, and give an account for our lives. Our, our, our mouths should be the vehicle that God uses to bring life and love and encouragement and truth and the gospel to people, Amen. We should be encouragers, not criticizers. We should be lovers, not people who condemn and judge, amen? That crazy glue is a good idea. But God, help us with the words that we say. Help us with the judgments. Help us when, when things come out of our mouth that are, that are foul, not good words. I was sharing with first service I was in my wood pile get, getting wood for the stove, filling up the wheelbarrow, and I grabbed a log, and the pile started to collapse, and a log fell down, and it hit the deck of the woodshed, and it, and it hit the deck, and it popped up, and it slammed right into my knee, just like that. It was perfect. I mean, boom, boom, just about took me out, and I'm in the woodshed, and listen, the first thing that wanted to come out of my mouth was not, hallelujah, bless the Lord. I... I was like, ouch, and I, I think I, I was just like, I was just like, the pain, and I'm like, why? And I'm not kidding you, I am not making this up. The next handful of wood, a log dropped and did the same exact thing and hit the same knee. Now I knew that's the devil right there. I've been dealing with wood since I was a teenager here, and I'm like, that's a, two times on the same knee? I mean, I get it. There's moments in life where, man, you, you hit your thumb with the proverbial hammer, and the, the first thing that wants to come out of you is not, oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. I get it. 
Man, some of you just are so stiff, you won't even, you won't even budge. I'm going to put a camera in your car or something. I, I'm going to... We'll play for the church next week. I don't know what you're talking about. Two shots to the knee, man. It'll make a saint swear. I'm just telling you. So I get it. We're all wrapped in flesh, but we've got to pay attention to our tongues. We've got to pay attention to our hearts. We've got to take note of what's coming out of our mouths. Why? Because verse 37 says, for by our words, we'll be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. So justification and condemnation are tied somehow to our words. Now you say, well, how does that work? I thought salvation was a free gift. Yes, absolutely. But since only a changed heart can produce a, a changed speech, our speech serves as a proof that we are in fact saved. How many would say since you came to Jesus, you don't talk like you used to? Amen. Six people, praise God. <laughs> We're on the right track. So when we come to the Lord, he changes the way we speak. Now, some of us struggle more than others, and some of us, it's a process, but we should be rooting those things out of our hearts so that they stay out of our mouths. See, when we're saved, when we're born again, when we partakers of God's grace, when we're in a genuine relationship with Jesus, it changes what comes out of our mouths, and that serves as a proof that we are saved. Sometimes we got to get our mouths saved as well as our souls. Somebody, some people got to get their face saved too, man. <laughs> Smile in church every once in a while. Just mix it up, you know. Jesus has got it. He, it ain't that serious, amen. You know, we're baptized in the Holy Ghost, not in lemon juice, amen. <laughs> Smile a little bit. But our words... If they need the change, we need to bring our hearts before God. We need to be like David and pray, create in me a clean heart. If we're struggling with fear and anxiety over, you know, if we've committed that unpardonable sin, know that just the fact that you would worry about it, that you would want a place of repentance shows that you haven't. Rest in the, the security of God. Know that your words are powerful, so use them wisely. And if stuff coming out of your mouth that you know needs to change, ask God to touch heart let's bow our heads today father i just thank you today for this text i thank you for good theology that drives away fear and anxiety that we know you've not given us eternal life just so we can mess up and and you you snatch it back from us but lord you purpose to save us and pardon us and forgive us and so we rest in your keeping power today Father, we pray for those who are angry towards god who are resisting god who are speaking all kinds of things against the Spirit of God, who are calling the works of the Holy Spirit the works of the devil. Father, we pray for people like that. Convict them, set a guard over their lips and change their hearts so that they wouldn't become so hard that repentance would become impossible. Father, we ask that uh, your prayers, that no one would be lost, that all would be saved. So, Father, give us that same heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise this morning.